Aw, shucks, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The podcast that wants to grow up to be president. He tried to set ants on fire with a magnifying glass last night. It's Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. It's another exciting, thrill-packed episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast based loosely on the Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023 Simplest and Easiest Guide Ever book. Boy, that was a long title, wasn't it? I'm Doug Jones, as you probably heard my Canadian nephew say, and I am here to help you feel good about your impending encounter with Medicare. And you may not really have a Medicare encounter planned, but if I can encourage you to consider an encounter and to perhaps improve the Medicare coverage you've been wearing like a uh, like a an ermine coat for several years, then I would be happy to talk to you about the Medicare coverage that you have and uh, see if you might want to change or improve your Medicare coverage. When I convey Medicare knowledge to people, uh, it's generally at an arm's length through my book, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. If you go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com and put that in the search window, don't forget the 2023 because you might wind up with an outdated book. There are people out there selling the books that I have sold for $8 on Amazon. They're trying to get $25 for them in some cases. I've seen them listed for that kind of money on eBay and on Amazon itself. Amazon will allow people to sell my own book on my Amazon page. I don't understand that. Anyway, once you have acquired my book in one of its many formats, and once you have taken a short period of time to read the book, first of all, Medicare understanding will be springing into your brain as though a light bulb went on and you'll feel so much better about your understanding of Medicare. Secondly, you will become the Medicare expert amongst your friends and neighbors. Now, they might call you a smarty pants like they do me, but they also might be uh, constantly in awe of your newfound expertise. So buy the book, read the book, and then share your knowledge with everybody else. Now, if you want to make sure that your own encounter with Medicare goes smoothly, use the information in the book to contact me. My email address is all over the book, and uh, it will be uh, a meeting of the minds. We're both Medicare experts at that point because you will have read the book, and I can help you because I have an insurance license. I can help you solidify your protection against high medical bills for the rest of your life at a very reasonable cost, I might add. Uh, just just ask the man who drives one is basically what I'll be doing. I will be recommending coverages that I have had myself ever since I crossed into Medicare. And another thing that I like to do, if not just talking to people about Medicare, is talking to Randy Carson about the adventures that he has in his life. Uh, you're planning a big weekend uh, extravaganza, I understand. I am. It sounds exciting. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to go up and spend some time amongst the wildlife in Williams, Arizona. 
that doesn't sound like it would have a lot of wildlife. <laughs> uh, we're going to go up to Arizona. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> That's a cleverly named uh, place. It sounds like a nudie place, it uh, does. You know, like a nudie resort, but it's not. It's actual bears. Okay, so it's spelled a little differently than the nudie place would be. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, if you're going to go there looking for a good time in a pub uh, with scantily clad people, yeah. this would not be the place. I got gotcha. you. This is absolutely traditional B-E-A-R-S bears. And that it's a it's a wonderful place. I love the place. I mean, they've got bears of all ages. Uh, there's you know several sections in the facility, all the way down to baby tiny bears that you can look at through the window. You can't touch anything. But uh, long story short, is the place is just fascinating to me. Well, I hope you have a good time. Uh, as a person who acquired three grandchildren in the blink of an eye. Uh, you probably are always thinking about things to do with them. Is that correct? Now that they're a little we, bit older? We are. Uh, we absolutely are. And I have got to tell you that I still have not acquired the uh, amount of energy that I need to keep up with three grandkids of, of very well, similar ages. Okay. Let me give you a little hint here that may help you in your life going forward. My gr- grandchildren are in their early 20s. That energy level you seek will never, ever arrive. <laughs> it won't, it's not going to happen? No. You have to wait for them to find other things to expend energy on besides you, and that will offer you a little bit of a respite. I, I am getting, okay, they're all, I the oldest is six, and so now I'm beginning to understand, you know, that there's, there's certain things and certain times of your life that happen at certain times. Well, I am at the point now where when the oldest one runs up and wants me to pick her up, uh-huh. I can do it, but I'm not going to be able to walk anywhere with her. <laughs> well, that's uh say goodbye to your picking up grandchildren days, because sooner or later you're going to say, uh, you're going to have a, an a excuse, you know, Ooh, I've got uh, uh, my back hurts. Uh, you know, I, uh, I need to sit down and rest. Yeah. I will say that I, my, one of my grandfathers was dead. I told you about my grandfather who was in the Spanish-American War and World yep, War One, yep. and uh, he eventually became a judge, and he was a lawyer most of his career, and he just keeled over and died at age 54 when his kids were 8 and 10. But uh, my other grandfather lived a long, happy life till the age of 64 when he keeled over and croaked, but uh, his his method of not picking up grandchildren was to sit down and put them on his lap. So every time oh. a grandchild wanted to be picked up, I saw him looking around quickly for some place to plop down. You know, that's a great idea. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that because normally the scenario that uh, unveils itself is when they see me coming, they're running towards me with their hands up. Yes, they're ready to go. Yeah. And I'm running the other. I I need to be running the other way with my hands down. Well, they outnumber you. They outnumber you three to one. So I can understand your concern. Yeah. The only people I see running around with, you know, a kid in each arm Uh is, uh, you know, like some of the big uh, muscle, you know, the bodybuilder kinds. Yeah. Yeah. What's that one fellow's name that he he started out? I've seen him where that kid in each arm is like an 18 year old uh, nubile young lady. Well, there is that, yeah, there is that part, definitely. I'm trying to think of the guy. He started out as a wrestler, 
bodybuilder sort, and now he's an actor. And, and I'm oh. not talking. I'm not talking about you know mm. Schwarzenegger. I, the, okay. the guy is uh, he's actually a lot younger than that. But what oh, I boy. can't think of his name. But anyway, the guy is absolutely you know what I from what I can tell, uh, looking at from the outside looking in and social media. The guy's a really solid gold dude. He uh, he maintained. There's several people that he has maintained or met, contacted throughout the years of his uh, movie career, and uh, he keeps really close track of these kids that he ran into. Well, this was all you know put together. It was all arranged. But uh, you've probably heard of the uh, Make a Wish Foundation. Oh yeah. Okay, so he one of these kids that was in the Med, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation wished that they could meet him uh-huh. in person because he was their favorite actor. Okay. And, and so the Make-A-Wish Foundation got a hold of this fellow and uh, he agreed to participate. And they so, but they told the family they were going to, they took him to California and they told the family, unfortunately, you know, he, he made all this happen. He arranged all this, but unfortunately at the last minute, he got called out of town and he wasn't going to be here, uh, but he wishes you well and, you know, blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. Well, that was all just a setup. Yeah. So he was in the kitchen and delivered this little girl her meal. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, and when she saw him coming, I thought she was going to explode. Yeah. And, you know, bottom line is, you know, I really enjoy, you know, this guy came from absolutely nothing. And now he's a multi, you know, multimillionaire, sure. if not, if not better. But long story short is he's never forgotten what it likes to, what it's like to be a human. Well, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, frankly, you know, it, we hear about make a wish because they do good things for people. But I always wondered what would happen if one of my kids were uh, stricken with an incurable disease and um, make a wish foundation came into the picture. I would instruct whichever child of mine this was to uh, express the wish that their father could just spend one night with, uh, let's say, um, uh, God, who was uh, in uh, one million years BC, Raquel Welch. Oh, Raquel Welch. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, somebody like that. I would try to make sure that my kid had a wish (laughs) for his father's welfare, not for his own (laughs) enjoyment. I'll I'll take the kid... I do remember her. She had a quite a interesting outfit in yeah, one million most, years BC. It was it was made out of the kind of animal skins that you're going to see at Arizona. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember them being quite that furry though. <laughs> well, maybe not, but they they certainly uh, barely covered the uh, the important parts of that lady. It's too bad that she died recently because uh, yes, she uh, did. You know, now we have to mourn her instead of enjoy her. I guess. But, you know, it's crazy. Anyway. It's crazy. Maybe it's just me. I'm noticing, you know, I'm making more effort to pay attention to these things. But it seems to me that over the last couple of years, and you know, some of it's been, you know, a variety of reasons, but the people that I used to watch, mm-hmm. follow, and, you know, that was kind of my era. Yeah. It seems to be they're dropping like flies. I know it's it's something that I've noticed too, and let's work on solving that problem. That's yes. probably got a solution, and we can fix it if we figure it out. Pretty sure but it does. In the meantime, you always have a um, a question for me, or lately you have. I anyway. do. Are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. Okay, here you go. 
This is going to be, hmm, this is going to be an interesting answer. I'll be the judge of that. (laughs) (laughs) Last time we dealt with a question called, am I required to enroll in Medicare? And the answer to that is an unequivocal no. Right. Now, you may want to do something about that other than that, but the answer is actually no. So now we're going to go to the next question. Will Medicare cover all my medical bills? It will not. I see a pattern here. There, The answer is no to every question. <laughs> but if you've got medical bills that are uh, not medically necessary, then you will not have those bills paid for by Medicare. If you have bills that are medically necessary, let's say you were trampled by a herd of elephants and you managed to drag yourself off to a, a hospital or some some medical treatment facility and they presented you with a bill, Medicare is not going to pay 100% of that bill. So even if Medicare is going to pay a portion of the bill, you're going to share some of that expense. So the answer is no, Medicare will not pay all of your bills. Now, they do have 100% benefits for many preventive uh, testing, uh, many uh, uh, tests and uh, items or services, they call it. If you go to the search window and put in test item or service, is my test item or service covered? They do have many things that they'll pay at 100% because it's preventive testing. They're hoping that you're being Rewarded for taking that examination um, will result in a lower incidence of whatever they're testing for, like certain types of cancer and so forth. But uh, the basic answer to that is no, Medicare will not pay 100% of your medical bills. That is correct. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm so glad to have that. And I want to share with you our typical uh, output from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. When they're, when they're not controlling and preventing diseases, they're trying to chastise the rest of us. They're tut-tutting and tisking us for using certain terminology that they say we shouldn't use because it makes okay, us. Okay, th- I, I know where this is going. I'm gonna have to <laughs> I'm gonna have to hold the arms of my chair so yeah. that I don't jump through the studio here. You ought to put a piece of wood in your mouth too, so you can have something to bite on without breaking yeah. your teeth, because you're gonna be yeah. grinding your teeth. This is under the category of drug or substance abuse. Now, here are the words they don't want you to say anymore. Instead of using these words, and I'm gonna read the list of words that you're not allowed to wor- use anymore. Drug users addicts or drug abusers you can't use those terms anymore alcoholics or abusers you can't use that anymore persons taking prescribed medication assisted treatment i don't know what that means m-a-t in parentheses i have no idea where they're getting the words that we're not supposed to use persons who relapsed smokers you can't use any of those words i don't know what the heck randy and i both freely admit that we are smokers, even if we don't smoke. We are uh, simpatico and uh, often think fondly of our smoking days. So the CDC is telling us here are the terms that we have to use instead. Persons who use drugs. You can't use drug users. So you have to say persons who use drugs. People who inject drugs. Persons with substance use disorder. Persons with alcohol use disorder, I'm thinking that they're paying by the syllable because each of these things is very similar to what the other thing was, but it's got more words and syllables in it. Persons in recovery from substance abuse or alcohol disorder. Persons taking prescribed medications 
for opioid use disorder. And that's in parentheses, that says M-O-U-D. I don't know what M oh met, medications for opioid use disorder. So that requires apparently uh, its own acronym. Persons who returned to use, and instead of smokers, we have to say people who smoke. I don't understand the rationale behind that. Do you, Randy? I am a smoker. I'll yeah. always this is the I know I've used this description to you and I've used it to other people. I am a smoker. I always will be a smoker. I yep. just may not be smoking at the moment. Well, I'm right there with you. Anytime now, I could become an active smoker, but right now I'm a passive smoker, meaning I go to bars and seek out <laughs> the smokers that are hanging around outside. Well, you, well, you can't even do that now. I'm trying to make new friends wherever I can. I sniff the air for tobacco smoke wherever I go. There's, But there's, there, I don't, is there any place you can smoke in a bar anymore? I'm telling you, I have hundreds and hundreds of Medicare people, uh, clients of mine that have applied for Medicare supplement insurance. And I have on every one of these applications, do you smoke? And one guy, one guy out of hundreds and hundreds of people has admitted that he smokes. So I'm, I don't think there is a cigarette. I don't know who's buying all the cigarettes, but it's certainly not anybody connected with Medicare. No. And as I, as I've told you, Ireland, you can't even buy it doesn't exist. That's because they have that English, uh, you know, what do you call them? They're, the English are a very dictatorial people by comparison to what we think. Overlords. That's yes. what I call there overlords. That's what I call them. And their overlords have told them what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. And that has translated to Canada. The Canadians are very, very overlordish about governing uh, their people and arresting anybody who differs in opinion with the government. It's incredible how that kind of stuff happens in an English-speaking world that spawned this beautiful country that we live in. So right, right. I should I, I should probably get to some curation, uh, some curated content because the curator is going to have a cow I, if I don't. I, w- I was just going to ask, are you still sleeping with her? Yes, yes, uh, on a fairly regular basis. Thank you very much. This, it's just never a good idea to sleep with the staff, Doug. In this case, it's worked out okay. I'm, okay. I don't think in other right. circumstances I would give that advice, but in my situation, I managed to make it work. And the okay. cura- well, and I, I got to tell you, having the curator on the job has improved the content that the uh, uh, listening yes. audience gets to enjoy. Yes, it has. So I'm going to let it pass. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let me let something about you pass. And we were just talking about this because Greasewood Flat is a, a defunct, drinking and eating establishment that we used to love to go to and to take our out-of-town guests to. And we were talking about uh, having the T-shirts and how those T-shirts might shrink in our closets over time. And uh, in older adults, a little excess weight isn't such a bad thing, according to this article. Yeah, well, Randy's going, read read on, read on. I want to hear more about this. Millions of people enter later life carrying an extra 10 to 15 pounds. Oh, boy, if only. Um, they, uh, this is weight they've gained after having children, developing joint problems, becoming less active or making meals, the center of their social lives. Should they lose this modest extra weight to optimize their health? This question has come to the fore with a new category of diabetes and weight loss drugs, giving people hope that they can shed excess pounds for years. Experts have debated what to advise older adults in this situation. On one hand, weight gain is associated with the accumulation of fat. 
and that can have serious adverse health consequences, contributing to heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, and a host of other medical conditions. On the other hand, numerous studies suggest that carrying some extra weight can sometimes be protective later in life. For people who fall, fat can serve as padding, guarding against fractures. And for people who become seriously ill with conditions such as cancer or advanced kidney disease, that padding can be a source of energy helping them tolerate demanding therapies. Of course, it depends on how heavy someone is to begin with. People who are already obese with a body mass index of 30 or over and who put on extra pounds are at greater risk than those who weigh less. And rapid weight gain later in life is always a cause for concern. Making sense of scientific evidence and expert opinion surrounding weight issues in older adults isn't easy. Here's what I learned, and this is a woman named Judith Graham. Here's what I learned from reviewing dozens of studies and talking with nearly uh, 24 obesity physicians and researchers. Our bodies change with age. We grow older and our body's composition changes. We lose muscle mass, a process that starts in our 30s and accelerates in our 60s and beyond. And we gain fat. This is true even when our weight remains constant. Also, less fat accumulates under the skin while more is distributed within the middle of the body. This abdominal fat is associated with inflammation and insulin resistance and a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, diabetes, stroke, and among other other medical conditions. The distribution of fat plays a role in determining how deleterious added weight in the form of fat it really is. Um, It's visceral abdominal fat around the waist rather than peripheral fat in the hips and buttocks that we're really concerned about. Activity levels diminish with age. Also, with advancing age, people tend to become less active. When older adults maintain the same eating habits while cutting back on activity, they're going to gain weight. According to the CDC, which is, uh, you know, when they're not preventing and controlling diseases, they're trying to change our language, 27% of the 65 to 74 year olds are physically inactive outside of work. That rises to 35% for people 75 or older. For older adults, the health agency recommends at least 150 minutes a week of moderately intense activity, such as brisk walking, as well as muscle strengthening activity. Um, Concerns about muscle mass. Experts are more concerned about a lack of activity in older adults who are overweight or mildly obese body mass index in the low 30s than they are about weight loss. With minimal or no activity, muscle mass deteriorates and strength decreases, which raises the risk of developing a disability or a functional impairment that can interfere with independence. Weight loss contributes to inadequate muscle mass insofar as muscle is lost, uh, along with fat. For every pound shed, 25% comes from muscle, and 75% from fat on the average. Since older adults have less muscle to begin with, if they want to lose weight, they need to be willing at the same time to increase physical activity. Ideal body weight may be higher. Epidemiological research suggests that ideal body mass index might be higher for older adults than for younger adults. Um, Body mass index is a measure of a person's weight in kilograms or pounds, divided by the square of their height in meters or feet. I'm going to go with the imperial measurements 
not the uh, uh, the uh, other ones, the European ones. One large, well-regarded study found that over adults at either end of the BMI spectrum, those with low BMIs under 22 and high BMIs over 33, were at greater risk of dying earlier than those with BMIs in the middle range. That's 22 to 32. 22 to 33, I guess. Older adults with the lowest risk of earlier deaths had BMIs of 27 to 29. That's the lowest risk of death. So you want to have your BMI pretty close to 27 if you can. Uh, According to World Health Organization standards, this falls in the overweight range, 25 to 29, uh, and above the healthy weight BMI range, which is 18 to 24. Also, many older adults to whom the study... Uh, whom the study found to be at the highest mortality risk, those with BMIs under 22, would be classified as having healthy weight by the World Health Organization. Uh, pretty confusing. The study's conclusion is the World Health Organization healthy weight range may not be suitable for older adults. In other words, don't ask who, WHO, World Health Organization, for advice about what your body mass index should be. Instead, being overweight may be beneficial for older adults, while being notably thin can be problematic, contributing to potential frailty. Expert recommendations. Obese, obesity physicians and researchers offered several important recommendations during our conversations. Maintaining fitness and muscle mass is more important than losing weight for overweight older adults. Unintentional weight loss is associated with several serious illnesses and is a danger signal that should always be attended to. See your doctor if you're losing weight without trying to. Ensuring diet quality is essential. Older adults are at risk for vitamin deficiencies and other nutritional deficits. If you're not consuming enough protein, that's a problem. Losing weight is more important for older adults who have a lot of fat around their middle, an apple shape, than it is for people who are heavier lower down, which is a pear shape. For patients with high waist circumference, we're more aggressive in reducing calories and increasing exercise. Finally, maintaining weight stability is a good goal for healthy older adults who are carrying extra weight, but who don't have moderate or severe obesity. By definition, healthy means people don't have serious metabolic issues overly high cholesterol, blood sugar, blood pressure, and triglycerides. Uh, Obesity-related disabilities, and that's problems with mobility, are common or serious obesity-related illnesses such as diabetes and heart disease. No great gains and no great losses. That's what I recommend, said Katie Dodd, a geriatric dietitian who writes a blog about nutrition. Oh, boy. Well, I uh, see by the old clock on the wall, we've got a little bit more time. So I'm going to share something I keep reading about, and I'm not going to probably spend a ton of time on this, but there is a thing when you're going to the hospital called observation status. Observation status is a limbo designation, and it doesn't mean that you're inpatient, even though you're in the hospital and you may be in a room in one of their beds wearing one of their stupid gowns that opens up the back, but you might still not be a hospital patient. What is observation status and why does it matter? Uh, This uh, says, my wife, uh, somebody asked this expert, my wife is in the hospital having hip replacement surgery. Some hospital person gave me a form to sign about observation care. I don't know what it means or whether it will have any impact on her hospital stay. 
Uh, the answer is this guy's wife was in the hospital bed seeking hospital physicians or seeing hospital physicians and getting care from hospital staff. However, what the husband did not know is that she is not an inpatient. She is on observation status, and that can have a big impact. Many Medicare beneficiaries like this guy may not be familiar with observation status. Here are some of their questions that need answers. What is observation status? The Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project defined observation status as an administrative classification of patients seen in hospital emergency rooms or outpatient clinics who have unstable or uncertain conditions, potentially serious enough to warrant close observation but usually not so serious as to warrant admission to the hospital. These patients may be placed in beds, usually for less than 24 hours, without formal admission to the hospital. In other words, observation status is a way to monitor, in a hospital setting, a patient whose condition is uncertain. The physician needs more time to determine whether to admit the patient or discharge him or her for follow-up as an outpatient. For example, a patient goes to the ER with chest pain and shortness of breath. She is transferred to a hospital bed on observation status. It's also becoming common for procedures with quick discharge, such as hip or knee replacements. How does the hospital decide whether the stay is observation status or admission? Medicare says this is a complex medical decision based on your doctor's judgment and your need for medically necessary hospital care. Generally, admission to the hospital is appropriate if a person needs two or more midnights of medically necessary care. But your doctor must order such admission, and the hospital must formally admit you in order for you to become an inpatient. What are the implications of observation status? Well, here's where you get to the meat of the thing. The costs. An actual hospital admission falls under Part A, hospital insurance. This part of Medicare covers the hospital room, nursing care, meals, drugs administered as part of the treatment plan, and other services such as physical therapy or x-rays. Those who have original Medicare are responsible for a deductible. This year, that deductible is $1,600. You can stay in the hospital for free for 60 days after you pay the first $1,600. That changes every year, by the way. Medicare Advantage members can face a per-day copayment such as $395 for the first five days, or a specified amount per stay, like $500. Observation status falls under the outpatient component of Medicare, which is Part B of medical insurance. There are separate billing codes for actual observation care, number of hours, physician and practitioner services, evaluation, and other services. Medicine or Medicare.gov says that an individual visit cannot be more than the hospital deductible but all visits during an observation stay can add up to considerably more. For those who choose original Medicare, the, cost apply, the costs apply to Part B, uh, toward the Part B deductible, which is $226 this year. And after meeting that, there's a 20% coinsurance. A Medicare supplement policy helps to cover the cost. Those with Medicare Advantage are responsible for the plan's cost sharing. And the other element is prescriptions and medications. Part B does not cover prescription drugs 
which are generally self-administered. Part B does not cover prescription drugs that you get in a hospital while under observation status. For policy and safety reasons, hospitals don't allow you to bring in medications from home, so the hospital pharmacy must supply the drugs. This includes the cholesterol, blood pressure, or any other drugs you take every day. However, the Medicare Prescription Drug Benefit Manual notes that institution-based pharmacies such as those in hospitals are considered out of network for Part D prescription drug charge. That means Part D drug plans will not cover your drugs during an observation stay. You will likely have to pay for those drugs and then submit a claim for reimbursement. Each drug plan has a procedure and a form. The cost sharing may be higher. Boy, I'm thinking we could cut this down because we're going to cut into Randy's nap time here, and I don't want to do that. So suffice it to say that uh, observation status in a hospital can expose you to additional charges that you hadn't planned on, and the thing to do is to ask the hospital personnel whether you have been admitted or whether you're under observation, and the hospital has to tell you the truth. So I think that's the short version of the rest of this multi-page article, Randy, and I think you should tell everybody to go home. I'm too bashful to do that, but you do it. Oh, well, I won't tell them to go home, but I I do have a couple things I always like to talk about when we run out of our 75 cents, and that has happened, unfortunately. Grab your pencil. Doug always likes to hear from you, and you can reach out to him using an email address of dbj at mlmmailbag.com, or you can reach us at our website, medicareforthelazyman.com. Doug is licensed nationwide to help you with your Medicare supplement planning. We would appreciate a review of the podcast and or the book because we always are up against it and reviews are always good in our world. So think about it. We would appreciate it. The last thing, but certainly not the least thing, is we want to thank you for joining us. You could have been a lot of different places doing a lot of different things and you weren't. You were with us, Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And I would like to tell you the specifics of what you have just done. You have listened to Doug Jones for thirty for about 32 and a half minutes, the anti-insurance insurance guy, originally from Oklahoma, now living in the high altitudes behind Cave Creek, Arizona, in his fortress of solitude. And I checked it earlier today, and I think his fortress is at about 8,300 feet. I love the warmth. I love the sun. (laughs) Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure, and we're looking forward to seeing you again at our next episode. Bye-bye.